Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Thake. The only show focused on Office 365 development, where I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Welcome to episode 30. Uh, We recorded a session with Rob Howard on January 16th talking about the Office 365 API strategy. Um, It's a great show. Rob uh, explains quite a lot about thinking behind stuff, so I hope you enjoy it. Before we jump in, let's have a bit of an update on what's happened this week uh, in the blogosphere around Office 365 development. So as usual, it's been another busy week. I've got about 10 posts here in the weekly updates on bloggers.office.com. First one I want to start off with is um, Vesa Yuvenen has posted the January 2015 community call that was done on Link for the Office 365 Developer Patents and Practices Group. Talks about all the updates that were shipped in the January release, some of the things that Vesa is working on, and some of the kind of key samples and documentation and guidance that we've uh, got going between internal people at Microsoft and obviously the community as well. So if you missed out on that monthly call, definitely go and check out the recording in your own time. The second link is a blog post which talks about the fact that registration for Build Conference um, opens on the 22nd, which is actually the day this podcast comes out. And so I'd highly recommend if you're a developer in the Microsoft space to really contemplate coming to this event. It's going to be the place where we land and focus all of our attention on Office 365 development and announce all the new features that the engineering team have been working on since the last major moment that we announced in uh, the end of October at the Tech Edge Europe event. Um, obviously, it's not just about Office 365. There will be a, you know, a lot of content on the Windows uh, development stack with the Windows 10 release being kind of very dominant right now. And if you missed the event on the 21st, um, I'm actually recording this on Tuesday the 20th, but there's an event on the 21st where they start to talk a bit more about the Windows 10 stuff. I'd highly recommend having a look at that because Build will be featuring a lot of that dev story on top of that. And obviously the third main theme of Build will be kind of Azure development as well. So definitely worth checking out that event in San Francisco. The majority of our team will be there. Um, We've got some great speakers lined up so definitely check that out one thing i've been getting a lot of questions around is a lot of our samples when you pull them down and you set up the um your client id in secret maybe for azure active directory and you click f5 and obviously it boots into the application running at localhost is how i then publish that to azure well brad geister has done a, a great job of talking about how you can use environmental setups with publishing profiles in visual studio to capture the client ID and secrets, not just for your local host setup, but also for when you publish them to Azure. Now, a lot of people discuss, well, you know, you only really need one client ID and secret that you can use for both local host and for um, when it's published in Azure. But in actual fact, if you want to test this stuff in the My Apps section of your um, tenant or when you want to pin it to your app launcher, the URL that it uses when you click on the icon in either of those two user interface hooks is actually defined inside that Azure AD application. So when you launch it, it'll launch either uh, as a local host or to something like property manager azurewebsites.net. And so you do need two instances. So Brady's post there kind of talks about how you do that in Visual Studio and it's a very detailed post. So if you are interested in that, I highly recommend checking that out. 
Richard Desirico, um, no surprises, I'm mentioning him in, in a, another show. Um, he's actually just moved from the MTC in Dallas to working in the, the DX, which was formerly known as the DPE, Developer Platform Evangelist Team, to focus you know, quite heavily on Office 365, which is really exciting for us because um, he'll be able to dedicate more time to evangelizing the platform. So he's posted something this week based on a little challenge, personal challenge I set him, which was to use the new search APIs that actually got released last week to return a collection of all the site collections that the current user who's authenticated into the web application has access to. So he's done a YouTube video as usual um, to explain what he's done, and um, I'd highly recommend checking that out. And then uh, Matthias Ng, who um, obviously has been working on the SPCAF app, which helps with kind of analyzing your full trust code and um, looking at how you can transform that code from full trust code to the app model, has um, talked about how mastering the Office of 365 developer patterns and practices, highlighting some of the new um, repos that we've got, like the open source repo for custom rules within SPCAF as well. So again, Matisse has been doing a great deal of stuff with the community and it's a great post explaining the benefits of what the PMP stuff does to you uh, from a third party perspective. And then one last one, the Open Tech team have actually released a bunch of integration between Moodle, which is a learning management system, which is very, very popular kind of globally, and the integration with Office 365 using all of these new app model and Office 365 API extension points. Um, there's a great video that shows um, using Mix and OneNote as part of that, but the uh, integration is a lot deeper than that. So I'd highly recommend checking that out if you've got any kind of demands around LMSs because it's just a great product and shows how you can leverage our platform at Office 365 with other platforms such as Moodle. So with that, please go and check out the blog post because there's a bunch of other links on there from people like um, Olivier Carpentier and Wardek Mastercars. He's got a ton of stuff on the Office Graph and obviously with Steve Peschka talking about kind of ADL token cache libraries and stuff. So again... Um, enjoy the show. Um, I'd love to get some engagement going on our Yammer group, which is again linked in this blog post. If you've got any kind of requests for podcasts or people you'd like me to go and hunt down in on campus at interview, please, please just kind of reach out to me on Yammer. It'd be great to um, to hear from you in the audience. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show and have a great week. So I'm uh, in building, building 35 in Rob Howard's office right now. Um, welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you. I, um, I was just joking with him, actually. He's got a, an amp actually set up underneath his desk, wired in some, they look like pretty loud speakers at the back there. So what's your story? It seems a little bit excessive to have a whole music set up in your office. I love to listen to music while I work. I get in the office really early, so there's nobody, you know, in the offices next to me typically when I get in. So I have a few hours where I can just blare the music as loud (laughs) as I possibly can without bothering anybody. I want to make sure it's really loud. Yeah. I must admit, I do get sick of having, like, the headphones on at my desk in my cubicle rather than just being able to crank up the music. But Yeah, I don't know. It makes me really claustrophobic to have the headphones on and not be able to hear anything out. By the end of the day, like, you can feel, like, even with the headphones not on, you can still feel them on your ears. (laughs) So, but unfortunately, the walls here are pretty thin. So they are. Yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. <coughs> That'll be the next step: soundproof, so you can have it on all day. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So, um, who is Rob Howard? What does he do at Microsoft? And how long have you been here? I see some crystals lying around from uh, anniversaries and bits and bobs. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm a program manager on the Office Developer Platform team. Uh, I've been at Microsoft for, geez, I think nine years now. Um, I started 
actually on front page i think like two weeks before front page was killed as a product <laughs> and then uh worked on sharepoint designer for quite a while um did a bunch of stuff around uh the designer there the page designer there and the design view there and um, a whole bunch of things with client server communication uh then i worked on a bunch of core sharepoint stuff i worked on uh, sandbox solutions and and uh actually well, I was still on SharePoint Designer, worked on uh, the Fab 40. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, me and another guy uh, built almost all 40 of them, just the two of us by hand, before the days of tooling for, for SharePoint, too. So it was so all you like hand rolling the WSPs. Hand rolling WSPs with MakeCab and you know XML files and all that fun stuff. Far out. Um, <clears throat> way. Uh, Oh, that was fun. Mike Amerlon had the office above us, so we were constantly going up there and be like, Mike, why doesn't this work? What's going on? And you were basically QAing all of his right. work around the packaging and stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so uh, <laughs> have you always been in that program manager role? or? Yeah, yeah. I started as a program manager and, and have stayed in the program manager the whole time. I've always been on the more kind of developer-related feature sides. My, yeah. my roles have all been on more developer-related teams, so I, I kind of stay in the development arena. Before I was at Microsoft, I did you know professional development, like more development-related stuff rather than than uh, program management. But so I have uh, <coughs> developers have a soft spot in my heart. But yeah, I've yeah. been a program manager at Microsoft for a while. And the question we get from all the people is like, if they're not in the software world, like what is the difference between a, a program manager and then like someone like a technical product manager like myself? Like how do we? How would you explain us interacting? I mean, it's a little bit different with every team at Microsoft and you know every company that's got program managers, but. You know, in particular in Office and in particular on the Office Developer Platform team, the, the program manager, sort of an embedded part of the engineering team. We do a lot of interaction with customers and with marketing in order to kind of understand customer needs and help develop a, a plan, uh, help develop a vision for the product, and then help develop uh, designs for what the solutions to those problems are. And at the end, write specifications and work with developers to get them implemented. And then we also get the opportunity to, to help you guys tell the story a lot by going yeah. to conferences and interacting with users and user groups and advisory councils and all that fun kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess out of all of the PMs I work with, I think you're the most engaged with the community, whether it's via Yammer or whether it's Twitter or whether it's at the conferences and stuff. And I think, um, without being too biased, but in terms of presentations, I think the developer audience respects yours the most because you are very hands-on in, like I've seen you spend 25 minutes just in Fiddler to demonstrate APIs. <laughs> it's pretty rare to be able to see someone do that like that on stage. So um, well, it's good to have a PM in that role that is that kind of in the weeds, I guess. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I like that side of the world. I love building software. I, you know, I, I'm really <clears throat> passionate about building software and building productivity software in particular. And uh, just the idea of helping people understand the tools that are available to them to build more powerful solutions is really cool to me. So I love working with customers and understanding what their needs are. And, and I love talking with developers and figuring out what would make them more productive and what would help them more. So it's it's yeah. uh, it's a bit, a most one of the most fun parts of the job to me. I think it's a good balance, right? You kind of the internal and the external stuff and getting to kind of be that middleman on, on working with the developers, both sides of the camps. Absolutely, yeah. And so the stuff that people would know you for most recently uh, would have been like the Office 365 APIs. So that journey, you know, we've come a long way from the days of, um, you know, the SharePoint ASMX web services and different things. What was the the main driver around moving to this new Office 365 API, uh, I guess, platform? There's been this trend for the last several years. You know, SharePoint development, when it started out, was a, a really 
very SharePointy thing. It was very different from doing any other source of development. Um, it was a skill that you had to spend a lot of time to learn all the SharePoint specific stuff, how to write feature XML, how to make cabs, how to do solution deployment, all the quirks of you know making sure you close your SP webs and all these random things that are really not sort of general purpose development skills. They're SharePoint skills. And we, we've kind of been, for the last couple releases, working on making SharePoint a more accessible and more open platform. And now that we're, we're sort of targeting as a higher level office as a platform, you know, really doing that for office development in general. You, you, you could tell that same story around SharePoint and WSPs about, you know, VBA macros or like com calls into through Excel add-ins. And really we want to take all of those technologies that are these pretty closed proprietary technologies where you really have to come to us and learn how to build the pegs that are really perfectly shaped to fit into the holes that we create for you and create a platform that's much more accessible from whatever sort of platform you want to write from, from whatever technology you want, from whatever sort of goal you have. If you want to build a device application on Android, we want you to be able to take advantage of these services. Uh, if you want to build a, a, a .NET web application in Azure, we want you to build those services. So, so really the Office 365 APIs are about kind of taking the, the power, taking the capabilities that you have inside of each of those Office services and making them available on all those different platforms. The other thing that's sort of different about them is where, you know, you can think about things like you can say the same about sort of SharePoint CSOM and the REST services that we built that make the power of SharePoint available across those as well. You know, with Office 365 and with a bunch of the modern products that we're building in, in at Microsoft, there are many more integration points across the suite. It's, it's very rare that all of the work that you do sort of sits inside one of the workloads of Office right. 365. So the Office 365 APIs are also a recognition that that we need a developer story that spans those as well. That we can't have sort of the SharePoint developer story in its silo and the Exchange developer story in its silo and the Link developer story in its silo and the Azure Active Directory story in its silo. We really need one that recognizes that, hey, these are all useful pieces of the productivity platform and people are gonna wanna write solutions that store files in OneDrive and allow people to collaborate with Word and then schedule and look at people's inbox in Exchange. Yeah. And so the, those 365 APIs are both about reaching those new platforms and about sort of creating that that common uh, developer platform across those services. And so a big part of that is the integration that happened with Azure Active Directory um, as part of the Azure platform. What have you learned from that? Like there's a lot of, and it's quite a big jump from a, for a web developer who's maybe not worked with Azure AD before, but what, what, have, what have you learned as part of that journey? I mean, obviously it's great now that you kind of authenticate once you know, you request what permissions you need, and then you have access to all these different service layers. But um, is there anything that we're moving forward to uh, make that easier, or yeah. um, like lessons we've learned from kind of when we since we launched this in October? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, the Azure AD off piece in particular is is a really big step forward in a bunch of ways. You know, Azure AD has always been part of Office 365, and that's sort of the, the place where your organization is managed, where your identities, the users and groups in your organization are managed. And now it's also the place where you can manage your applications. And it's a place that's shared across SharePoint, Exchange, and Azure Active Directory, and a bunch of other services at Microsoft that also rely on the same system for authentication. So as opposed to like the SharePoint OAuth implementation based on ACS, that's very SharePoint specific. I mean, the authorization endpoints you go to are SharePoint authorization endpoints. Right. The, the consent dialog you get is a SharePoint dialog. 
you know, this is one that's shared across all of those boundaries. So it's really uh, another example of that place where we, we're trying to create this, this platform that lets you take advantage of all of the, the productivity services that Microsoft offers. You know, that sounds really spectacular. Um, in practice, you know, we're trying to, to knock down a bunch of these barriers. We didn't get them all on the first go. There's right. still some some real barriers between those infrastructures. And I think, you know, there are places like when you sign up for an Office 365 tenant, we don't automatically give you an Azure subscription at this point. So you have you try and go log into the Azure portal and you get this uh, thing that looks like an error screen that says, oh, you don't have a subscription. Uh, and you have to go and do separate, you know, it's a separate transaction to create another subscription for, for the Azure management portal. So I think in the, in the places where we've learned that there's still work to do and the lessons that we've learned from it are that, yeah, it's it's positive work to go and tear down these boundaries, but we have a lot of work left there to, to make it really a seamless platform across them. And, right. there, and there are a bunch of examples of that, not just, you know, having to create the Azure subscription, but even in the fact that, like, when you look at the O365 APIs, they're, they're still on different endpoints. I mean, they're, they're both OData services, they have similar syntax, you know, they share a common set of client libraries, they look similar. But Outlook services are on uh, outlook.office365.com and SharePoint's on you know whatever your company is that SharePoint.com and yeah. Azure Active Directory's on graph.windows.net and so there's still those silos between the organization. Yeah. We're moving in the right direction, but we have a lot of work left to do. And I think we shouldn't underestimate how hard it is to to knock those down. I think that's one of a big learning for us and one that we'll, we're just sort of doubling down on on knocking down those boundaries. Yeah. yeah, and so the discovery service for now is what's kind of gluing that all together, right, to make it easy to know what those endpoints are. Absolutely, yeah, the discovery service is what sort of makes it possible. You, you can yeah. you can log in, you can go to the discovery service and say, hey, you know, I have access to the user's mail or their, or their documents, can you tell me where that is? And it can point you in the right direction programmatically. And that that certainly uh, you know makes the problem better, but it's still a boundary. Like at the end of the day, we're not we're not satisfied with that. We you know, we want to go further. We want to make it more seamless. We want to make them really just one service infrastructure that you can go to in order to get to all of those pieces. Yeah, and if you want to learn more, if you're listening around uh, the authentication piece, uh, Rob and I did a great session on dev.office.com/training, which was an introduction to the kind of Azure AD authentication flow and. Um, Rob spent time in Fiddler explaining the kind of the auth hops and the, how you configure those things in the in the management portal. So I'd highly encourage you to check those things out. And then there's additional modules there that will go through, you know, calling the calendar API or the mail API or contacts or files and sites. So um, definitely go and check that training. Just remember that with all those videos, there's hands-on labs available too. So you can go and follow through in Visual Studio and create an ASP.NET MVC project and go through those hurdles of um, adding the connected service and, and using those class libraries to then get those back from your tenants. So that's, you know, there's definitely a lot easier than, um, I guess, as Rob said, you know, if you're a SharePoint dev four or five years ago, looking at the CSOM libraries, there was a little bit more overhead to kind of get cranking and understand how things were working there. Yeah, you know, those aren't things that people have built real solutions on and, and very powerful solutions, and they're not things that don't have a place in the new world. I mean, if you look at the CSOM or the SharePoint REST APIs, for example, you know, you can take this same Azure Active Directory-based authentication and you can use that with those existing APIs. Yeah. Um, there's some functionality within SharePoint, like SharePoint Search, for example, which the permission scope that you need in Azure Active Directory-based OAuth isn't available yet, but that's on its way. I mean, that, that's something yeah. that, that we're actively building and we'll make sure that you can call those search APIs using Azure Active Directory-based authentication. So, so it's definitely something that we consider an important part of the platform still. 
you know, when you think about some of those APIs, if you think about them in just the SharePoint context, they, they made a lot of sense. They were really important APIs. But when you think about them in the broader context of Office 365, you, you might not focus on them as much. And, and like one example would be uh, the user profile service where people would use the user profile service to do things like look at all the users in particular groups or departments and look at your management hierarchy and things like that. Right. Well, the source of truth there in Office 365 is really Azure Active Directory. I mean, Azure Active Directory is syncing that information out into SharePoint, or we're syncing it from SharePoint, syncing it from Azure Active Directory out into SharePoint into yeah. the user profile service. So, you know, in the context of Office 365 and Azure Active Directory-based authentication, you might use the Azure Active Directory APIs rather than right. the user profile service. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's not to say that those existing SharePoint APIs are, you know, aren't supported or don't work in this new world. They're, they're absolutely a part of that, and, and many of them will be an important part of, of continuing to manage even the Office 365 world. Right, and I think some of the explanation I've had with people when they go, well, you know, but there seems to be this kind of big divide now between Office 365 APIs and the APIs you would call from a, say, a SharePoint provider hosted application with managed code. The explanation I give is that, you know, we were really looking at MVP to get out the door where those APIs, that we, the Office 365 APIs we shipped, make total sense for if you're building a mobile application on Android, iOS, Windows, whether it's native or Xamarin or Cordova, or you've got a standalone web application that is then calling into these APIs that maybe you're hosting inside the My Apps functionality we, we talked about at TechEd. I guess to wrap that story around, we are looking at, aren't we, to move so that the SharePoint apps still consume these new API endpoints that we, we, we're shipping. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the way that, that uh, SharePoint OAuth works, even the apps that you're using ACS-based OAuth, the, the kind of SharePoint app model OAuth, even those apps are actually stored in Azure Active Directory. They're stored in the same place that the new apps you create are. They have a slightly different schema. You know, for, if you're familiar with Azure Active Directory-based entities, they have like this application object and a service principle object, and so there's a little bit of a, a difference in the schema between these two things. But the plan is absolutely to merge those concepts and bring those existing apps that are sitting there and you're using ACS against them and bring them forward so you can take those same apps and use uh, AAD-based auth or, or continue using that ACS-based auth if you have uh, functionality that still requires that. So we do want to bring those notions together. This is, you know, it's not a, a divergence. I would expect as we do more and more work, the work that we did, like you were saying, to, to really support these device apps and sort of standalone websites, that sort of world will converge very quickly with the work that we're doing, that, that we already had in these site extensions and SharePoint apps yeah. uh, in that world. So I, I don't think that there's much of a gap in the future going forward, I think they'll, they'll actually come together quite nicely. And then uh, in addition to the kind of the SharePoint apps uh, with the Office apps, so if I'm building some of the Outlook or Word, Excel or PowerPoint, it's the same notion there, right? I can do a call to the Office 365 APIs. Right now we have this notion that you'd get the consent window the first time you used it to force you to log in. But is there anything we're doing there to kind of improve that flow in the future? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, today inside of the Office apps, when you build an app for Office, you know, it, it's for all intents and purposes just a separate website. Right? Yeah. It's like you're you're looking at it in a browser that happens to be Excel or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you're still going to get that consent prompt, and, and it's kind of a separate notion that you're interacting with Excel and that you're interacting with the Office services. We don't understand that as one thing. Right. But definitely that's something that we want to be able to do for a bunch of reasons. One is just the user experience of, you know, a bunch of people want to go and create these apps that I can consent to 
And I can use them both as these service-oriented apps, but also ones that integrate with the Office clients and integrate with the, with Office documents and spreadsheets and, and PowerPoint presentations and all that kind of stuff. But the other reason is because we want you to be able to manage those things as one unit. Like if you're an organization that's building applications or you're a vendor that's selling applications uh, and you want to go and create this package, this single package that has the capability to integrate with the Office clients and has the capability to leverage services from Office 365, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to deploy those as a single unit and consent to those as a single unit and maybe even sell those as a single unit. But, you know, those are those. That's one piece of functionality. It's just showing up in a bunch of different places. And then you know we've got a sample that we have built the property inspector one that we demoed in the kickoff session that I did uh, with Brian Jones at TechEd. And that sample now has an Outlook add-in that kind of does that. It goes back using Azure AD auth, calls back into SharePoint and pulls that data, but it actually displays it in Outlook. So there's a good kind of, I guess, more and more so I'm seeing that SharePoint's becoming used as more of a pass in terms of, you know, I want to use the workflow part or I want to use lists and libraries or I want to use the taxonomy. Do you, do you see that as that direction, you think, from the APIs of leveraging that and then maybe leveraging other things like Azure Mobile Services as one, like, is there? Are you seeing that yourself with other other kind of customers? Yeah, definitely. I think each individual application has specific things that they want out of SharePoint, and whether that's you know search or user profile management or uh, lists and libraries or or even just you know document storage and uh, you know co-authoring and collaboration on Office documents. And so I think more and more applications will kind of pick and choose the pieces of SharePoint that they need to leverage and then integrate with other services at Microsoft in a really simple, straightforward way. It'll be as easy as picking and choosing the SharePoint functionality you want will be as easy as picking and choosing all of the services across Microsoft that you'd like to leverage along with those. Right, okay, and again, the same auth flow and the same kind of management within inside Azure to do that. Yep, absolutely. Cool, and so for those listening, the um, we just shipped a new course with the SharePoint building blocks where we actually have modules and hands-on labs for each of those things that Rob just mentioned. So if you're interested to see how you know to leverage workflow in one of these uh, my apps in Office 365, you know, we, we go into that in a lot of detail there. So definitely go and check that course out too. And um, so with the APIs, you know, we've mentioned, I guess really we, we talk about it like the functionality, the mail calendar contacts, files, sites. In reality, if you look under the covers for those guys that are on-prem that don't really think about this as just a kind of service, that's Exchange and SharePoint. What other things do you think we will see in the next six months around other services will start to light up there that can be leveraged by people that are building apps on top of the and leveraging the platform? It's hard to provide exact timing on exactly when things Every are going to show up. But, but just yeah. like hypothetical. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a bunch of other really useful services at Microsoft for building productivity applications. And some of those are, hey, we just have pretty limited functionality in some of those existing services. Like if you look at the Files API, it's, it's a pretty simple API. The subset of things that you can do in SharePoint that are available in the Files API is pretty small. Uh, so, of course, we'll continue to iterate on those services and, and make them more and more capable, uh, you know, adding in things like uh, the ability to share those or the ability to manage those in more robust ways. And the same with mail calendar and contacts. In addition, you know, we'll add new services to the mix and we'll do it in the same way where we're adding them using the same sorts of authentication. You know, they are also going to be simple REST services with the same sorts of protocols. They'll support things like OData. We'll have unified client libraries around them. You know, we'll see things like OneNote and task management and things like that that we're working on bringing into that same sort of fold. Um, and there's a bunch of other services that are that are out there at Microsoft that we'd love to bring in as well. You know, we get requests all the time to take 
office document related services. So for example, the ability to have a REST service reference, say, an Excel spreadsheet or a PowerPoint presentation or a Word document and either modify the content or extract content from it, you know, push in some new data into an Excel spreadsheet and pull out a, a, an image for a chart and use that to power a custom application. Uh, we also get a bunch of requests around document conversion. So, hey, I've got a, you know, a Word document or a PowerPoint presentation and I'd like to convert it to PDF. Uh, yeah. you know, that's a really common ask for service-based things. The Office Graph is another one that, that people are really excited about. The Office Graph is the service that powers the Delve experience. So it lets you do things like, say, look at a particular user or a particular set of users, and from that, look at what documents are trending around them and maybe interesting based on who in your organization's written them and who's viewing them, or what colleagues you work with or communicate with often. You know, it's a really interesting experience. It's a really powerful way to discover content that's, that's uh, growing and trending within your organization. But we also want to make sure that there's an API there so you can build custom experiences on top of that same data and intelligence that powers the, the Dell experience. So that's another one of those things. So with, with that, like, so that seems to be the focus that we'll start to see coming out in 2015. What thing, what, what apps have excited you that you've seen built on top of this platform? Like what are the ones where you've looked and gone, well, that's really smart, I would have not, not thought of that, or that's such a good use of XYZ. Like what ones really stand out to you that, we, that you've seen out there? Some of them are just really simple integrations that it's really just cool to see. And it's, you know, not even that it's, that I wouldn't have thought to do it, but like, for example, um, to see Smartsheets go and integrate with Office 365 sign in and sign up so that you can just sign in with your Office 365 identity through OpenID Connect and use that as your sign in for this third party application. And then it can show up as part of your Office 365 navigation and my apps and then your app switcher. Like those kind of things are, are really cool to see actually light up and to see customers using them and taking advantage of that. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Uh, I've also seen some experiences from folks like K2 that really excite me where they've for a long time had uh, this notion of like site extensions where you can uh, extend the functionality of a site with a bunch of kind of workflow and form related kind of functionality powered by K2. And when they took a look at this MyApps capability, they came up with this sort of novel way of bringing together that site extension with the MyApps capability where they're able to provide you a top-level dashboard that shows you all of the sort of workflows and forms and tasks that you're involved in across all those sites in an aggregated way when you go to the My Apps experience. And I think yeah. that's a really powerful notion because I think one of the things that SharePoint often suffers from in a user experience is that everything is so distributed in all right, these right. different sites and having that kind of one destination place to go to and see all of the content related to the app and then maybe dive into the specific sites when you need to is really powerful. And, and uh, like I said, K2 has an application like that. I've seen actually that pattern show up more and more where more and more uh, vendors are building applications that do that in the MyApps experience to kind of bridge the gap between their MyApps experience and their site extensions. Yeah, yeah. So that's been a really powerful one. And then, you know, the other ones that, that you were mentioning where you're taking these services, the service integration, and you're actually embedding them inside of apps for Office. You know, those are really cool, really powerful scenarios where you can do things like uh, send somebody an email and have an identifier in that email uh, activate an app for Outlook and then have that app for Outlook understand the context of the email by connecting to another service and integrating with our Office 365 services on the back end and identity on the back end uh, to really provide a rich contextual 
dynamic experience based on the content of that email. You know, those are really powerful experiences to me. And for those that maybe don't know about this, again, like if I go back a year when I wasn't here, like some of the questions I have are, you know, how do you work with those ISVs? What are the, what are some of the things that you do as you're going through this process and thinking about a new endpoint or maybe a new um, service layer within maybe Excel? Like what, how do you work with those ISVs that are kind of globally out there? What, what are some of the, the platforms that you use for that? You know, user voice is a big one. So we've, we've got a user voice site. There are a ton of topics up there that people uh, propose that we make changes to the Office Development platform or add to the Office Developer platform. There's a bunch of votes there. You know, we look at that quite a bit and we, we sort of use that to both look for inspiration for what we need to go and add and help prioritize things based on what shows up there. So if people have ideas or needs, you know, I would, I would highly recommend that. Another big one is that you know we've got a bunch of customers that are going through the process of doing things like taking on-premises software like FTC solutions or things like that and moving them to the cloud with uh, cloud app models, SharePoint app solutions. And as those customers go through that, and as we're building more and more guidance on how to take those solutions and move them, you know, we encounter a bunch of things where, hey, there's a gap in our API set where we need to add something to go and support. You know, the latest one was like, it, it turns out in the CSOM you can't set the max versions on the versioning settings for a list. So we added right. that in the recent CU and then we added that in the service. And that's based on sort of real interactions with customers who are trying to transition existing existing solutions and, and then the sort of guidance that we're building to help them do that. So that's a big way. Certainly, you know, we have a bunch of programs where where, where developers are able to go and build against uh, our services and, and provide us feedback directly as, as part of, you know, different events around the country. So those are all good opportunities. You know, oftentimes you'll find PMs or members of the product or the, the product management group there yeah. uh, in order to take the feedback and certainly field members who are there provided as well. So those are some of the big ways. I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's been interesting to see, um, you know, the engagement levels that we've been having recently around this stuff and like, the preview program that we do with various ISVs to get them up here and show them the new stuff and, you know, it was great to see you kind of engage in, in the different rooms where we had the different OSVs kind of brainstorming how they could leverage things like my apps and these new APIs. Yeah, I mean, those are spectacular events. Yeah. Um, you know, when we when we can get people up here to have kind of that accelerated several days of really trying to knock out something and build something and we can get the back and forth of making sure they stay unblocked by, yeah. by getting them past issues and getting their feedback really quickly and in some cases even being able to iterate it on iterate on it and turn it around really quickly. Those are really awesome kind of higher energy events. Those those are the really fun ones. And we get a whole bunch out of them in terms of making a better platform for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's been great. Well, um, look, I appreciate the uh, the time today. I know you've got the flu. I've got a little bit of flu as well. So the coughing and sniffing probably didn't go down too well. But um, I, I, the, the content was really good. So I really appreciate your time on that. On another note, what do you do outside of work? Like when you're not in here blasting your music or in meetings with us talking about what we're shipping. What keeps you up at night outside of the work sphere? Well, I've got a, a pretty young daughter. I've got an 18-month-old daughter, so yeah, she definitely right. keeps me busy. That's It's been a lot of fun. That's my first, so it's been a, a very cool new experience, but definitely busy. I play a lot of soccer. I'm a huge soccer fan, so I play as much as I can possibly get in in between time with my daughter. My daughter has now learned how to say daddy soccer ball. Daddy soccer. <laughs> so she's learning very quickly how to play soccer. So you're a big Sounders fan then, or...? Yeah, I, I'm a big Sounders fan as much as I am a, a, a professional soccer fan in general. I love yeah. to play even more than I love to watch. So. so would you watch the the English Premier League as well as the, the U.S. stuff, or not so much? 
Uh, I, I watch them both. You know, I, I, I identify more with the Sounders. It's yeah. sort of the local team. You know, right, right. I won't make a comment about whether they compare well in terms of the <laughs> skill of the team, but you know, I, I think I enjoy it more when it's the home team. Well, I did just say Stephen Gerrard just signed with the LA Galaxy or something. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how he's. Um, Received in the American audience. I mean, yeah. Thierry Henry and um, Beckham obviously were very well received, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, well, I mean, it's knows. it's hard to deny that the skill has been monotonically increasing oh, in, in, in the MLS. So I think that's very exciting to see. And you know, Seattle is a huge oh, soccer town. And, it's you know, insane. It's, like, it's yeah. absolutely insane to go to a Sounders game. I mean, between more so that than really any other MLS team. So. Right. I mean, between that and the Seahawks, I mean, this, oh, yeah. this whole state is just crazy into those two sports. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, any predictions for Sunday with the Seahawks? I, uh, you know, I hate to be go on record, but I think that the I think the Packers are actually going to have a pretty tough time with the Seahawks secondary. So I, I would definitely go with the yeah, Seahawks. Yeah, should be an exciting game. This town yeah. basically is just going to switch off on Sunday. It will. Um, it will be a ghost town. I was at the game last Saturday. Oh wow! I've never been in the stadium that loud in my entire life. It was That's just awesome. off the charts. But the tickets were a little bit expensive for <laughs> Sunday. Um, you know, it's this game and then it's the Super Bowl. So obviously everyone and their dog wants a ticket. So um, I'll be in a bar somewhere in Seattle watching that one. How about yourself? Uh, I think we're having some folks over. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, grab a few growlers. Yeah. Maybe get some 12th Man Ale. <laughs> I think actually uh, Brian, the group manager, I think he actually has season tickets. He'll probably be at the game. Yeah, I, I think there's quite a few people uh, in this office and obviously in the marketing office that seem to go every time. But um, yeah. I, yeah, it sh- should be good fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, look, I'll um, let you go, but thanks very much again. And we'll definitely get you on the show nearer to the build Ignite timeframes to talk a little bit more about you know what we're actually releasing um, in that time frame and uh, awesome again thanks very much for all your contributions with our community our customers and our isvs it makes my job a lot easier to have someone like yourself on the inside kind of being able to answer the questions where it's just not in my ballpark at all well thanks very much i, I enjoy it it's a lot of fun i wish i could do more <laughs> <laughs> great cheers Rob. thanks very much thank you thanks again for listening make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of your office 365 developer needs All the links from the show are in the blog post on blogs.office.com WACDEV, where you can find the latest news about Office 365. If you have any ideas for new shows or questions for us, please join us in our Yammer group in the Office 365 technical network. Have a great week, guys, and keep coding on Office 365.